Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Another episode of the Behind the You podcast. Jack McClinton joins us. We're doing this on a Friday night, so you know it's important to Jack. It's happy hour here on the Behind. If I was in school, I'd be heading to Green Street <laughs> a little bit later. Look there ahead. we go. There we go. So listen, I just want to know, you didn't ask Michael B. Jordan to hop on, did you? <laughs> nah, but if I called him, he'll come on. <laughs> Jack's dabbling in the podcast space, the media space, and uh, in doing my research, he was doing one of his episodes, and the actor Michael B. Jordan popped on. So just real quick, how do you know him? You know, it's funny, me and Michael B. met through basketball. Being in L.A., being a great basketball player, jumping to business, people in L.A. don't know me from basketball. They know me from, like, you know, active dreamers, my brand's loaded doc, you know, the guy, Jack, that can dress. So, uh, you know, I'm a really good friend with Lethal Shooter. Chris Matthews is a shooting coach. He's from Maryland. And we had an idea of, you know, having a collaborative effort where we just bring our network in and we play basketball. We kind of teach different things at the game. And then we see where it goes. So I know a lot of people, people know me from my fashion and I got clients, but they were like, yo, let's just do it like an influencer run. So let's invite people that we know in our network. We don't tell anybody. And we start like this private run. And, you know, I met Mike B through his brother, Stilo Brim and Frank Brim. And then when Mike B, he knew who I was from that. It was a reverse. He knew who I was from basketball. And then when it came to our influencer runs, sponsored by Action Dreamers, we started to get, get to know what my brand was. And I kind of like, you know, it's a basketball in Miami. I will say it changed my life. It really put myself on a different level of notoriety being in Miami, you know, shout out to D Wade and Darrell Wright. D Wade's the owner in the jazz now, but like being, you know, growing up and like, you know, my best friend being Darrell Wright, I went to prep school with him and like being around, you know, basketball is just the biggest leverage you could probably ever have in your life. If you know how to utilize it right. You know what I mean? I think I utilize basketball because, I wasn't always a high recruit. I had to like do it different, you know? You mentioned they were all right. So I'd heard you on a podcast earlier. It was the one you were doing with, uh, you were a guest with uh, Gerald Henderson and Tyler Hansbro. Tobacco Road. Tobacco Road. And um, shout out Gerald Henderson. He's, in an, he, he's a partner in Active Dreamers, by the way, but go ahead. Okay, excellent. Ex by the way, do you want to challenge him? Because he said your step back was a travel every time. Um, I don't want to challenge him. You know, at the end of the day, people don't know what they like. They like what they know. So he didn't know what the step back was until he <laughs> saw it. And when he saw it, if you ain't never seen it, you're going to call it a travel. But if it was a travel, they'd be calling it. You were ahead of your time. Oh, for sure. Oh, come on, man. I look at it today. I'm like, all these step backs, they weren't doing it like me at UM. I literally used to practice that shot. Like I would make, I would, I would do 10 step backs from five spots. Right. But I wouldn't stop until I made 10 in a row. So I would do a step back from every spot until I made 10 in a row. And then I would go around. So like, that's why I became so like, you know, just autonomic. That's the key to get your moves and life on autonomy, you know, you know, autonomy. 
And that's what the step back was for me. But it's funny seeing it all the time now. I'm like, come on, man, I've been doing it. If your career was 10 years later, you've, oh, been, you've been killing it. Oh, man, tell me about it. Exactly. It's funny. I was watching some highlights of you, and it wasn't just like a step back. It was like a jump back. I mean, you got serious separation. But how would you decide to intertwine that into your game? You know, coming from Baltimore, Maryland, I used to always – I was a gym rat. I had a, I had a basketball court in the front of my house. And then I played with Cecil Kirk, AU team in Baltimore. And there I met a guy named Terrence Witters. You know, people pronounce it different ways. Rest in peace to Terrence. But he showed me to step back. And then at my high school, Juan Dixon went to my high school, Calvert Hall. And Juan Dixon was known for like a step back move. It wasn't like necessarily like mine. You know, mine is like a step and like a, like a, a jump back. Yeah. And I, I can't explain it. It's called the step back with Jack. You know what I mean? But. Juan Dixon and Terrence Whiters were the first people that kind of introduced me to step back. And I just kind of like put my own twist on it. You know, you can get to it from so many different variations, but being a smaller guard, I needed to figure out some type of move to get that space so I could just see the basketball. You need to see it. If I can see it, I say I can throw it in there. So it was, it was, more, it was a way for you to create space and see the hoop? If I could see the hoop, I felt like it was, the ball would go in every single time because I saw it. So many times in a row happened and when I was practicing. I'm like, yo, if I hit, if I just hit 35 in a row, I know if I see the basket, one of these is going to go in. <laughs> Plenty of them went in, dude. Plenty of them went in. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So explain this to me. Hardly got any D1 offers. You are two-time first team All-ACC. Your jersey's in the rafters. And you're one of the all-time leading scorers in points. How did that happen? My mind, man, you know, I was, I was always been a dreamer. Man. I've always dreamed to be like something different. You know, my dad was a basketball player. I would go to his games as a child. You know, I always wanted to be great, but I was a late bloomer. So I was always shorter than everybody. So, you know, I grew up in Baltimore County, AKA the suburbs. So, you know, when I was young, I played around a lot of kids that weren't as good as me. You know, I was young, I was six years old. I was playing basketball in the county the suburbs. And I was destroying it because I, I was around my dad. My dad taught me everything I knew. So my dad, my dad always grew up playing in Baltimore. So he was like, man, we got to bring you to the city, son. Like, you got to play. You know, this is great here, but I want you to play against some guys that may not be as blessed. Because, you know, I grew up with, you know, both my parents. You know, we had a middle class family, lived in Baltimore County, had my own room. Like, you know, it was just a lot of – it was, it was a different life than, you know, some of the kids that I played with. So – my dad wanted me to see something different. So I went to Baltimore City. You know, playing in Baltimore City, it's a whole different animal than what I was used to. You know, our practice gym was called the chicken box. They called it the chicken box because it was like, it was as small as a chicken box where the chicken used to cluck, right? And when you played in there, there was no, there was no bleachers. It was standing room only. So you had to stand on the wall. No AC, no nothing. So, like, playing in those kind of environments, people cracking jokes. Hey, you from the county. You can't play, man. You from the suburbs. You're not one of us. Oh, you got clean shoes. You know, just that type of environment really makes you appreciate the game. And like, it puts that chip on your shoulder because you want to prove the people wrong that feel like you don't belong, you know, a different way. So I would say a lot of that, like two time first team ICC, you know, scoring leader in some categories and and if I would have played four years, I could be number one. Just saying that, humbly speaking. But, like, coming up in Baltimore City, playing basketball in Baltimore City, it really kind of made me believe I could accomplish anything and that I always wanted to prove the people wrong that said I couldn't. Because in my mind, I thought I was Michael Jordan. 
talking to athletes on this podcast, the overwhelming thing that I pick up on is all of you have this inner, not only do you have the drive, right? The work, but there's also a great sense of self-belief. Like there's no doubt Santana Moss was a walk-on. He didn't doubt that he should have been division one starter and he made it happen. And I feel like you're the same way. For sure. I mean, I think that's what makes the elite athletes a little different. You know, the ones that aren't naturally gifted that may not have the strength, height, weight, but like the mind is the most powerful thing you have. It has nothing to do with the physical ability. You know, you could be the strongest man in the world, but can't lift 30 pounds. You know, you can be the smallest man who just believes and you make yourself strong enough to do that. So I believe the mind is the most powerful thing. The mind controls everything that happens in your body. I think having that mental, and that's kind of like what made me jump into what I do in business now. And my business is all about, you know, using your mental capacity to elevate above what you think you can have or do or be. This area, Miami, is a football area. Football's big here. But in Baltimore, explain to everyone how big basketball is. Football is big too, huge. But like basketball was like the main thing. You know, you got guys like, you know, like you said earlier, I went to high school with what played the same high school, Juan Dixon, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Farrell, Muggsy Bogues. You know, Reggie Lewis, Rudy Gay, Malcolm Delaney, who's a more present guy from Baltimore, um, Stink Norris, you know, that played at Miami, Kevin Braswell, Shantae Rogers. There's so many guys from Baltimore, but it's, it's such a small city. We may not get, like, that recognition, but there's been a ton of talent that has came from Baltimore, and it's like Baltimore is a greedy city, so – you got to be on your ones and twos, man. You got to be able to crack jokes. You got to have tough skin. You got to have thick skin because if you don't have thick skin in Baltimore, you're going to wither because that's what they do. Everybody jokes. I mean, it's not like a bad thing, but like, got to have your jokes here. You got thick skin, you're not going to make it. But like, that type of thick skin made it a lot easier to adapt to, you know, playing in big universities and playing in front of big crowds because as a kid, you dream about playing in front of the big crowds. The main part is like, how do you silence the noise? You know, the noise is easy to silence. I've been through, like, worse than, like, I heard at Miami, you know. Well, maybe Clemson. They said some crazy <laughs> stuff. But anyway, that's another, that's, another, that's another conversation. But, yeah. You were getting crap because you were an outsider coming into the city, right? So they were kind of testing you. Yeah, they was like, man, you ain't never played in here. You from the county. You from the suburbs. You ain't supposed to be here. Right. You're protected. You're pampered. You don't belong. You're not tough enough. Was there ever a time where you're like, man, I don't belong? Those times would maybe sneak in my mind, but my dad would never, never let me think that. You know what I mean? Because we lived in the suburbs of my family, but my dad came from, like, you know, living in a, a one-bedroom, a two-bedroom apartment with six or seven sisters, four to a bed. So I was never like, hey, you see what you got, but, like, this could be taken away from you just as fast as you see it. And my dad always wanted me to be bigger than him. You know what I mean? My dad went to West Virginia Tech in the Hall of Fame there, but like he wanted to go to the NBA. So I guess I was like his, his tool or protege or whatever you want to call it to like teach me mentally that I could do whatever. And then, you know, he never let that kind of that fear jump in my mind. So some days you may feel like you don't belong, but like when you got a father figure in your life every day telling you, hey, you got to get better. You don't, even, you don't even have the time to think I don't belong. Your dad's like, you better get better. You see how these kids are? You got to get better. So not belonging never stuck into my mind because I already wanted to prove my dad right. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then at what point did it become your dream? Right? How, at what point did it transition from your dad pushing you to you having that dream, that vision of I want to play big time ball. I want to go to a college. This is what I want to do. I'm putting in the work. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't say my dad pushed me, but he put the ball on my hand. I and mean, he put the ball on my hand. I'm like, you know, it, it took a mind of its own. And like, I guess just being from Baltimore and like it being such a competitive sport and seeing so many players that you've ever played against or played, you know, with go to big schools, go to schools, you're like, okay, well, shoot, I want to kind of, I want to be like Kevin Braswell or I want to, you know, Kevin Braswell to Georgetown. I want to be like, think Norris that played at Miami. I want to be like Shantae Rogers that went to George Washington, these D1 schools. And it's like, that's the big thing for every kid. You just want to go D1. You know, you feel like you made it out. If you go to Division One, you want a scholarship, you know, D2 is great. D3, they don't even give scholarships. But like, you want to go to Division One. So it's everybody's dream to play D1 ball, Jack. You finish high school and you go to prep school. Now, I don't know why you went to prep school. Did you go to prep school because you had to or, you, or was, was it strategic to go so that you could get to where you wanted to get? I didn't have any scholarships in high school. You know, I went to Talbot Hall, which is a, no D1 scholarships, none. Yeah, so, I mean, when I went to Talbot Hall, that was just like a place where I knew I could go where basketball talent looked at at a high level. I'm getting a great education. And, you know, Juan Dixon was the guy that I was like, okay, that's Juan Dixon with the Maryland. I grew up watching Maryland. You know, Terrell Stokes, Juan Dixon, win national championship. So I'm like, oh. Calvert Hall is like, you know, that's a great school to kind of go to. So I ended up going to Calvert Hall. Thankful that, you know, my parents get like, we had a little bit of money I could go there. Because a lot of times, you know, you don't, that's what I mean about having the best of both worlds. Like I was able to go to Calvert Hall and get an education, but also get to look at basketball. You know what I mean? So I played under Gary Neal. Gary Neal was, you know, played at the Spurs, you know, went to LaSalle, went to Towson. But like, I played under him till my senior year. So I never really was a stud you know my freshman year I played JV in the sophomore year junior uh, I mean, senior I played varsity but like I didn't really get a chance to really play play until my senior year so like I was a late bloomer I might have averaged like 19 points but like in the summertime I didn't really on my Cecil Kirk AAU team there were always so many great guards that I didn't really get a chance to be seen so like nobody really saw me play until my senior year but like usually guys that are going to these big schools or even division one I've been seen at an earlier age. So nobody really saw me till maybe my senior year. Like, oh, okay, Jack's good, but, like, how come we haven't heard of him? So, you know, my parents, I played in the um, Charm City Classic in Baltimore where they had the USA team versus, like, another state team, and then they have, like, two city teams. I played on, like, the lower version game. And I went to prep school, and I met, you know, Raphael Chilius. He was coaching West Nottingham at the time. And, you know, I played pretty well. And he was like, hey, talk to my dad. Hey, your son should maybe, you know, want to come to prep school, you know, go to prep school. You don't lose a year of eligibility. So I would still be able to go to college as a freshman. And once again, like it wasn't, they didn't, I didn't get a scholarship. <laughs> you know, we had to pay to go to prep school. But when I went to prep school, for me, that was like the extra year that I didn't get to show myself where I was able to really just be in the gym and just practice all day and get better. But then that's when I, my, best friend at the time at the time well now Darrell Wright he was like the number one player in the country so when I was at South Kent I mean Darrell had every college at practice I mean every practice it was at least 25 schools there like it worked out in a way where like my my teammate and Cheyenne Moore was another top recruit they're watching them practice but they get to see little Jack that oh we didn't even he wasn't even on our radar so I had tons of uh opportunities you know of schools, but they were never, like, on the level of Miami. I had a lot of mid-majors, you know what I mean? I had a lot of, like, you know, Central Connecticut State, Hartford, Marist, Siena, 
Towson, you know, there was no like high level division one teams because I was like a still growing. I was like five eleven, six foot. No college coaches were ever, you know, never saw me play before my senior year. So they didn't have much film or much data to go by. So I had no big schools in college. My biggest school in I mean in college. My biggest school in prep school was probably maybe St. John's late. But, you know, it was always like mid-majors. Mid-majors all day, every day. You get the scholarship to Siena. Are you okay with that? I mean, I know I guess you sort of have to be because, as you said, those were the schools that were recruiting you. But did you think to yourself, I know I'm better. I know I could play up. Or were you happy that you had the opportunity to go play ball, even if it was a mid-major? I was honestly happy to just go D1. Because, you know, like I said, going back to Baltimore, like, you go D1, like, you made it. You know what I mean? It don't matter what place or wherever you're at. And it's like, like I said, I had, it was all mid-major. It was at a, when I chose Siena, it was at a Central Connecticut State, University of Hartford, Towson, and I think Siena. And Siena had just won their conference the year before. Rob Lanier was their coach. You know, he was a black coach that I, was a former player that I was like, okay, I can relate to his game. And his, you know, his recruiter was, uh, you know, Rob Jackson. Rob Jackson was a scout at the Spurs at the same time. It was like, it's weird how this whole thing happened. And it's like, Coach Jackson was always at my games. Like, he was the one guy that, like, thought that I was great. You know what I mean? I, there was other coaches that saw me, but, like, he just made me feel like I was, like, super special. And then, you know, that's why I, ch- I, w- I chose to go to Siena. But I went to Siena, and there's four point guards there. College is a, is a tough thing, man. I'm thinking I'm going to Siena as the main guard. I'm going to start. I go to Siena, it's four guards there. So, I mean, at Siena, I didn't even play. You played. I mean, you scored 14 a game. Weren't you like Mac Rookie of the Week a bunch of times? Oh, yeah. But, hey, hey Josh, it didn't start like that. When I went to Siena, I played behind Albert Fisher, who was from Jersey, Tay Fisher, who was from Schenectady, New York, and Kojo Mensa, who was from, like, Brooklyn, New York, and Mike Beers, who was a, a senior guard that came back. So I was, like, fourth guard in the lineup. I would say my first seven, eight, nine games, I didn't even play. And I remember, like, yesterday, we had a tournament. We played in a tournament at NC State, which is funny when I was at Siena, and, like, I didn't play. I might have got in. I might have turned the ball over and coach took me out. And it's funny that you said you're every time where you thought you couldn't make it. It happened when I was – when I made it. When I made it Division One. it was a tournament at NC State. And, like, I was like, you know what, man? Like, this is basketball. Like, I wanted to do this thing, but, like, I'm not even playing. Like, maybe this isn't for me. And then, like, four or five games later, every guard got hurt. All of them. All the guards got hurt, so I had an opportunity to, like, jump in the starting lineup. And I remember it. I was at, it was Youngstown State. It was my first game starting. It was a quadruple overtime game. And I think I had, like, 16 points, nine assists or something crazy. And, like, that's when it clicked, like, oh, I can play at this level. And then I didn't have the pressure of, like, somebody coming to get me because they were all hurt. Sometimes it takes weird situations for you mentally to understand that, yo, you know what? You can really do this. And then from there, like, it was all she wrote. I was getting 20s, 30s. And, you know, that's when I believed I was back at that little jack mentality where, like, I belong here. I'm going to prove you wrong. Back in the suburbs. Exactly. Back <laughs> in the suburbs. Exactly. In Albany, though, this time. <laughs> A yeah. different type of suburbs. <laughs> Let's say you pick Central Connecticut State or Towson or whatever, right? For whatever reason, because I know part of the story, Rob Lanier is part of the reason that you get to Miami. 100%. Shout out Coach Rob Lanier, man. 
So if you pick Central Connecticut State, you might stay for four years. Who knows what happens? But Rob Lanier is the reason you get to Miami. You explain why. Yeah, so I remember my freshman year, you know, I was playing well. I was a starter at Mac with you of the week, you know, leading freshman scorer. And, like, it was a crazy thing because during the, like, we still had, like, maybe 15 games left. I remember, you know, we found out that he was going to be fired. And fired. And it was like, yo, like, I only came here for Coach Lanier. So if he was going to leave, like, I was going to leave too. So that's why I went to Siena with the coaching staff. They made me feel at home. So I felt like if someone new came in, they didn't know me for who I was. You know, shit, I went – I played high school. Nobody knew who I was. You know what I mean? I finally found a, a coaching staff that knows who I am and respects me. So, you know, when he left, you know, my dad put a highlight tape together of, like, all my highlights from, like, all my games. So, you know, he sent it to every school. And then he sent it to the mad schools in the country. And then, you know, I don't know, you might want to bleep this out, but I don't care anymore. I'm not in college. But Sienna put a halt on what he was, like, a transfer to. Because they were like, oh, if he's from Maryland, he can't go to Maryland. I think they did Georgetown. It was like colleges that they bleeped out that I couldn't go to because they thought that I had already – I don't even know what they thought. But it was schools that I, they made in that they said, look, he can't transfer if he goes to X, Y, and Z. But Miami wasn't one of those schools they didn't have on their radar, you know, ACCs. I don't, I don't know what it was. But, you know, Coach Rob Lanier coached with Coach Hayes, who was a coach at Miami at Texas. So I remember they were like, I think – quote Rob Lanier was like look I got a guy at my school that's transferring from Siena he, he's not going to be a superstar but he can come and help the team out and when Miami got that got that video of me I guess Coach Hayes was like this kid's pretty good I'm gonna take a chance on him you know shout out to Coach Lanier for putting a good word in shout out the relationship with Coach Lanier and Coach Hayes and Coach Hayes giving me a chance and it was just funny that my best friend I was at prep school it was on the Miami Heat he got drafted the year before so I'm like I'm going to Miami my best friend's on the Heat so I'm like oh this is, I gotta go to Miami so I ain't gonna lie that that not only was like Miami like the only you know, I had a lot of big schools recording me kind of at that point but there was so much going on where I couldn't go certain places and then like Miami was an ACC school that kind of offered me and think Norris Chuck Norris you know think Norris Kevin Norris he was a point guard that played in Miami went to Miami, I'm like, well, let me just go to Miami. My best friend's there. If I don't make it in basketball, at least, like, I'll be able to build business with my best friend. You know what I mean? That was, like, the kind of mindset going on. I'm like, yes, I want to transfer there and, like, play well and make it. But also, like, my best friends on UM. So, like, it, it'll also allow me to keep working out in the gym and, like, really learn tips that he's learning. So, it, it was more of a strategic business move for me, not just, like, basketball of course you want to play in ACC and I wanted to do it but like it was a bigger move so you know shout out shout out to coach Hayes for taking advantage but a bit but a business move as in a business move relative to basketball or a business move relative to life life like were you already thinking three steps ahead oh yeah for sure I was always thinking like you know I played basketball for people to know who I was I mean of course you want to make it you want to do great things but it's like basketball is a portal that people would say, oh, that's Jack McClinton, the basketball player. Because how else do you get identified? You know what I mean? Like, if you're not an athlete or entertainer, it's like nobody's really identifying you like that. And basketball was that, like, outlet that I could be identified without, like, I always like to dress nice. I always like to, you know, keep my hair, you know, to the waist. So basketball was just, you know, one of those things where I was like, look, well, let me go to the place where I had the best opportunity 
or most knowledge that I can get for one, you know, getting knowledge from my best friend that plays for the Miami Heat and being around that. And like, I was always a creative guy. I had my own clothing line in, in when I was in middle school. So like my boys in the NBA, like get him a shirt to wear. You know, I was always thinking outside the box because I wasn't a highly touted recruit. So I'm like, if I can get the same access to these highly touted recruits, I'm going to kind of think of it a little different and like, you know, use it about building a brand off the court too. You know what I mean? Not just about playing at the U, which was amazing, but like, you know, my best friends on the heat. I'm going to have access to heat games. I can meet all these people. You know, that was kind of like my mindset. So you get to Miami and you got to sit out a year. What was that like? Honestly, sitting out the year was something I needed, you know, just so I could get accumulated with like a bigger campus, you know, more stuff to do. You're in Miami, bro. Like, you know, it's Miami. It's like, I went to school in upstate New York and from Baltimore, you know, you start seeing Miami, you know, it's a different vibe. You know what I mean? Because for me, that was a whole different realm on outside the court, but also like, you know, going and playing in the ACC, you know, you're playing against North Carolina Duke, the biggest schools in the country. And like really just being, having a year to test my skills with the players that were on the team to see like, okay, how far away am I in this year to be on that level so I can come in when I can play to actually contribute? You know what I mean? So that extra year sitting out really helped me to like gauge where I was. Where did you think you were when you first stepped onto the court with quote unquote high major D1 dudes? I knew I had to get like more quicker and stronger because one thing about mid-major and high-majors is like it's great guards you know, all across the country, right? It's great guards with high level, low level. But when you start to get to wings and big men, that's where it's different. They're more athletic. They're more skilled. They're, you know, they can do a lot more. So I wasn't too far away from the guards. The big men were just so quicker and stronger and faster. So I'm like, okay, one thing that I had above a lot of guys was I could shoot the basketball so well. And the two guys that were, uh, Guillermo Diaz and Rob Height were like the two starting guards on that trio with Anthony Harris. So the year I sat out, I was playing against them every single day in practice. You know what I mean? I'm playing against Rob Height, Anthony Harris, Guillermo Diaz. And like, I was a little more skilled in certain areas and, you know, certain players, they were better than me in certain areas, but I learned and I tried to pick up what I didn't have from them. So the next year when I was able to play, I could really like come in and come into a man of my own. But like, I, don't, I didn't think I was too far off because I'm like, yo, if I made it here for not having a scholarship, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. And it's up to me now to, like, believe what I always thought I believe. I could, like, you know, dwindle down like I did to Sienna not playing, but, like, the not playing was okay because I had to sit out. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I'm not playing and I'm losing eligibility. Like, I'm not playing and I'm learning. So, you know, I felt like I was ready. And then this next year when I came to play, they both left. You know, Rob, he was a senior went to the league and then Guillermo Diaz was a junior but everybody didn't know if he was going to come back or not so when he left I'm like oh that's two spots wide open at the guard position I knew Anthony Harris was going to come back and be a starter but like that was two spots open and I'm like I worked my whole life for this I'm getting called a clown in the chicken box from Baltimore and getting talked about in the suburbs like I'm in the ACC and I got a chance to start and these guys can't shoot the basketball like me <laughs> I got I got an advantage, you know what I mean? And then, you know, it's it's not that simple, but like I would say I was prepared for the moment. When my moment came, I was prepared mentally because I was playing in practice against these guys every day with no pressure to perform the next day in the game. You know what I mean? Imagine being a practice player and you can do whatever you want and it doesn't matter because 
you got to be, you know, J.J. Redick of Duke in the practice. Like, I had to pretend I was certain right. players. I had to be these players. So it's like, for me, it's, it's crazy. I'm talking about this. Maybe I got, like, the in my mind, like, I could do it because – Special powers. Yeah, because I was, like, the other team's best player. So I had no, like – I could be just like them. You know what I mean? And then when I'm being this other team's best player, I'm actually making the shots. and like, damn, you guys – this is Jack. Why – this is not the real player. Why? You know what I mean? So I think that sort of put me in like the frequency of like, yo, I could probably do this. So that's funny that you asked that. I guess from being pretending to be the other team's best player, it allowed me to be, you know, the best player in, in myself and like take it over to my own team. Then you get on the court your first year. That wasn't a good year. It was definitely wasn't a good year. I put that one out of my memory. I was like, wait a second, 12 and 20. Oof. You know, for me, I had a terrible year. I mean, I didn't have a great year at Siena my first year. So I, I ain't going to say I was used to losing, but I wasn't coming from a winning program, like crazy winning program to another, you know, like, you know, Miami was winning, but another lose, losing program was like, wow, it's another losing program, but I don't know what to juxtapose a losing program to. So, but I had a good year though. I had a pretty decent year. Like I had some pretty good games. We didn't go far, but I was third team on ACC. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, we had a pretty bad year. Of course, we wanted to win a lot more games, but wow, I, I made, I wasn't, I didn't come in the season like, yo, I'm going to make first team. I'm like, wow, I'm about to start in, in the ACC. I better be ready. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? For, We're going to fly in a charter. We're going to fly in a charter. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So when I had to like jump into that and I played well, I'm like, wow, they gave me third team on ACC. Okay. It gave me another like energizing battery in my back. Like, okay, I think I, maybe I can do more now. Coach Hayes should start feeding you stuff. Like, hey man, NBA GMs are calling already. Like, if he would have did that, it would have been too much pressure. I had no pressure because I wasn't going to Miami thinking I'm going to the NBA. Of course, as a kid, you want to you say I got a dream to make the NBA, but you like you never really know how that dream is going to come true. But then in my situation, it's like it was like kind of reversed. So the next year is the tournament year. Your first team All ACC. You're happy being third team, right? You're like, oh, man, look what just happened to me. So did you have a feeling that next year was going to be different? I think it was going to be different because we got, like, we were very well coached that year. We got some more players coming in, some good freshmen. We had, you know, Jimmy Graham, James Dews, Brian Asbury, Adrian Thomas, Eddie Rios, you know, Dwayne Con We had, like, a lot of uh, – I don't even know what Dwayne was there at the time. But we had guys coming in, and everybody was more familiar with each other and, like, we could do some things. So for me, like I wasn't going in the next season, like, yo, I'm about to make first team. No, I'm not going to sit here and lie on the podcast and say, you know, I'm going to, make. I was still surprised that I made 13 the year before. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yo, I made 13, but like one thing you will know about me, I was in the gym every day, all day, every day. That was my, it was, it was schoolwork. And I was in the gym. I wasn't partying. I wasn't doing, I mean, I was literally in the gym, just honing my crap because I'm like, I was getting better every year. I was just repeating, you know, replicating what I was doing the year before. So my junior year when we came, and I knew we were going to be better, but I didn't, you know, have any really expectations. I was going to play, try to play my best for my team to win, win you know what I mean? So. so you talked about your work ethic, so we got to talk about that because when you're part of a basketball team, even from our role as a broadcaster, it's a group, it's a small little group. It's like 25 guys that travel everywhere together. So the student managers, the GAs, the players, the coaches, the broad, we're like a little group, right? And I just, I do remember, I don't remember who, but I remember the student managers would tell me, we get back from road trips and you'd call them and you'd be like, meet me at the gym. It'd be midnight, it'd be 1 a.m. And they would tell me, man, Jack had me in the gym last night. Jack had me in the gym last night. So 
You be working at all hours of the night. No BS. I'm third team on ACC my sophomore year, my first year in ACC. It's like, I can't let this moment slip. I can't not just become comfortable because I made third team. Because as a kid, in my mind, I always wanted to be there. You know, I wanted to be just like Warren Dixon at Maryland. You know what I mean? So when it got to my junior year, you know, my second year in ACC, I'm like, okay. If I don't feel supremely confident in my game at one, one second, I'm going to the gym. So a lot of those times that I would go to the gym after games and stuff like that, was like, I, may, I may not have shot the ball well, so I'm in the gym. Summertime, every day was gym. So it's like I'm waking up, you know, I go to the gym before workouts and runs, go to summer class, go to the gym, rest, go to the gym at like 8, rest, and then I may go back to the gym at like 11.30 at night. And my junior year, I, I, a lot of that, I have to give my shout-out to Eric Wilkins. Eric Wilkins prepared me so much for, like, my sophomore and junior year than, you know, I could imagine. He had the best defense that I've ever saw. When I was a sophomore playing in practice, I played against Eric Wilkins. He was on the team. Eric Wilkins went to Oak Hill. He wasn't the best offensive guy in college, but, like, he had so much defense. He would strip the ball for me in practice. So my sophomore year going to my junior year, we lived in the same uh, apartment thing because he was staying there for another year. I don't know what was going on. That's a whole other thing. But, like, Every day, I was in the gym with Eric Wilkins, full court one-on-one. And I remember that Eric Wilkins used to strip everybody. Like, he would lock down everybody. So, imagine playing against the best defender, athletic guy, Eric Wilkins, every single day, every night, 1030 at night, 12 in the morning, not going out. We're in the gym playing one-on-one full court. Every, when I say every day, I mean every day, all day, nonstop. So, I honestly have to say I became the killer of the dog that I was at Miami because of Eric Wilkins. I got to shout him out, man, because I literally was in the gym every night, every morning with Eric Wilkins. He was feeding me that confidence. Like, man, you can make it, man. You better than all these dudes. I played against every player. Chris Paul played against all of them. Jackie, just as good. You better. So, you know, he was almost like my spirit my spirit animal that was just, like, feeding me, telling me, like, yo, you're great. Because I was playing with him every single day. It was in the heck. Every day, we're in the heck. All day, every day. I just got to figure this part out. Work, 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 work. School, 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 school. But you talked about coming to Miami and seeing some things you hadn't seen before. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Your best friends, they're all right. So you're kind of traveling in some different circles. So how did you keep yourself focused and disciplined when you had some other things pulling at you? I mean, because I didn't want to spoil the moment, man. I was always like, I got, I have carpe diem tatted on my arm. It's like, you know, seize the moment. It's like, when you start to make these certain moments, I mean, you can't allow outside influence to take you away from a moment that you work for your whole life. So at the end of the day, you still do what you do. You know what I mean? You still, you know, you have that time. But if I'm out at four in the morning, right, you know, doing what I'm doing, whatever, I'm still getting up at eight. You know what I mean? If I'm out till 6 a.m., I'm still waking up at 7.30 a.m. getting in the gym. So, you know, yes, you may get, you may do like the extra or whatever, you know, you're at college, you're exposed to more things. But I was so disciplined that if I was tired or whatever, it's like, I'm going to get up and do this. Because if I can stay up all night and mess around and do whatever, I should be able to get up and work on my game and be at class on time or put the extra work in because this is what I'm here for. I'm not here for that other stuff. That other stuff ain't going nowhere. 
and the other stuff is leaving if you ain't still if you ain't still popular. If you ain't popular, <laughs> <laughs> if you ain't popular or you ain't popular, the other stuff is leaving anyway. So you know you had to make sure. Jack McClinton honorable mention this doesn't have that same kind of pop. Honorable mention does not have the same pop as 13, first team on ACC. And all ACC academics. Don't forget that. I'm I won't. Okay. So honorable mention, you're, honorable mention, yeah, you're coming honorable home at 2 a.m. Honorable mention, I'm at home at 2 p.m. <laughs> I'm not even going out. I'm in the gym after class. <laughs> I don't make it out. Try to, trying to be, trying trying to be, be 13. 13 exactly. Trying to be 13. Going back to the beginning with the step back, was the step back fully a part of the arsenal then? Oh, yeah. The step back was a part of the arsenal, you know, when I went to Siena. You know, I, I was watching Juan Dixon with the step back when I was in high school. It wasn't as good as it was. You know, my year from Siena transferring, me and Terrence, little T, Terrence White, was in the gym every day. He was teaching me so many different ways to do the step. Because it's all about crossing your feet. You got to know how to, like, cross your feet a certain way and step from different angles. A lot of times, people step back, straight back. It's a lot to do with angles and, you know, getting that plant foot inside the defender's leg. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of stuff that he taught me that every year I got better and better and better. Then I started adding my own player to it. And then it was, it was pretty much unstoppable at that point. The signature win that year's Duke at home. Just explain what that felt like. I mean, that was a crazy feeling because, you know, you grow up watching, you know, Duke, they're winning everything. And I didn't always have my greatest games against Duke. It was always like a little bit of jitters against Duke. But that game I played, when I played, I think I might have had like 21 or 19, something like that. I think Dwayne Collins stole the show that game. But um, it was one of those moments where it's like, Holy crap, man, we just beat Duke. You know, the Duke. Like, what? Crowd, you know, rushes the floor. You know, that's just a different type of energy that you get that you're not usually used to. So I would definitely say that energized me and gave me superpowers. That year, right? It's a tournament year. You start getting into the conversation of the tournament. How were, where were you guys of that? Because I know as a broadcaster, we're very aware of it because we want to go to the tournament. We want to be in that moment because once you get there, it's special. How aware were you guys of it? How much did you guys want to get there? I mean, we wanted to get there because we knew we had like a way better year than the year before. I think that year was 9-9 nine nine or 8-8 eight eight or whatever in ACC. It was like a 50% record, I think, something like that. But like we had some won some big games. So, you know, we weren't too like – Coach Hape didn't let us allow us to just focus on that. You know what I mean? We, we were still getting ready for whatever we had in front of us. But we knew we had a pretty good chance of making it. We didn't know – we knew it wasn't a short shot. But we also didn't think it was like no chance. So, you know, our hopes were high. We, we, we were hoping that we were going to make the tournament. Everyone watches Selection Sunday TV, you get announced. I mean, you got to remember that moment. I remember we had our March Madness t-shirts on. And, you know, we saw it on TV, man. And, like, for me, it was just like, at the moment, you don't even know what it is. Because, you know, you don't even, you don't even know what that feeling feels like. You know, you know what I mean? NCAA tournament, you know, playing in that and like being in Miami, you know, being one of the main portions of the team to take the team there and like being a major part to it. And then I ain't gonna lie, when we heard St. Mary's, like, oh, St. Mary's, we might can get them, you know, St. Mary's ain't no big school. <laughs> you know, we, we might got a chance to win, you know, win a couple of games. And you knew Texas was next, right? So you knew they had to pair that up. We knew to, you know, I was like St. Mary's. I'm like, St. Mary's. Oh, I'm gonna get. I'm. We gonna do our thing. You know what I mean? We got them. We. You know what I mean? But like, Texas, like ah, they good this year, but hey, we might got them too. So, but you know, it was just one of those things where I was just super thankful, man. Always living in the attitude of gratitude of just being in that situation, having opportunity to you know play in the NCAA tournament. I tell you, one of the coolest feelings. That was my first time going to a tournament as a broadcast. I don't know if you remember this. 
you get on the plane, the band's there. When we got to Arkansas and we walked into the hotel. All the people were there. And they're playing the theme song from CBS. Oh and you're like, oh, crap. God. Like, this is it. We're here. We're a part of it. We're one of the 64. I, I can still recall it to this day. When you said it, I was thinking, I'm like, how do these people get here before us? <laughs> like, you start seeing familiar faces in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's like, wow. Like, the diehard fans really travel when their team makes it. You know, you see people that you saw in the stands in Miami there with their cameras ready at the hotel. I'm like, and they got the song on. I'm like, oh, wow. We're here now. We're here now, man. We know what happens your senior year. We know about the game at Duke. We know about the three games in a row over 30. But for some reason, I don't know why this is. No one talks about the second half of St. Mary's. Seriously, 32 in the second half in an NCAA tournament win. And they, that game doesn't get talked about as much as it should. It's funny because I remember going to that game. I was like, look, I'm not going to be pressing to score points. Like, you know what I mean? It's going to come. It's going to come. I'm here. I can't be out here pressing, looking like I'm trying to score so much. So if you notice, I didn't really take that many shots in the first half. You know, I was more like an opportunity presented itself. Let me try to make a play for myself and my team. So second half came. I'm like, okay, look, I got six. If I score six in the second half, we're not going to win this game. <laughs> Nothing against my teammates. You know, we were all, we, it was good, but I'm like, I got to turn it up a little bit. You know what I mean? You know, this is, I'm a junior. We're in the tournament. Let's turn it up. So when you get some opportunities, I was really trying to get it going in transition because they were really honing down on me on the half court. Like defensive schemes, you know, they were forcing me one way. So they knew that I was a guy. So I was like, you know what, second half, let me really, you know, get this going in transition. So second half, I got a ton of transition buckets. You know, if I see like three going, like it's over for the other team. I'm not going to miss them anymore because it's just a mentality, vibration, and frequency thing where it's like it's, it's about to keep cracking off. So, second half, I got it going, man. You know, 32. And the crazy part about St. Mary's was that, like, I was playing against Patty Mills, who was a freshman, but that's the player of the Spurs. You know, now he's still with the Spurs to this day. But just getting back to uh, why nobody saw it was because Steph Curry had 40 that day. So, like, my 38 was cool, but, you know, Steph Curry from Davidson gets 40. So nobody's talking about the 38 because, you know, this kid from Davidson gets 40 points. I'm talking about you know, it. You're talking, I'm about, talking about, about it, Jack. Yeah, you are, but it's like back then they're like, they're back then they're like, oh, we got we got the media was like, you know, yeah, it's cool to say 38 for Jack McClendon, but he was Miami, like he's not a basketball school. Like this story is a lot better. Let's put Steph Curry, Davidson, 40. And that's why I know to this day that story never count. Your senior year, you had to be going in thinking it's back to back. We're going to the tourney again. Yeah, you definitely think, you know, we were ranked. We are coming in. I think we were, like, at one point, we were top 15, top 17. So you definitely think you're going back. But, you know, things don't always happen the way they seem. We had some injuries. We, a lot of, like, we lost a lot of close games. Oh, dude. Overtimes, close losses. But you got your little run. You had your run. An epic, and I can still to this day, as much as I can hear the music walking into that hotel in Arkansas, I can still see it to this day, cross the court in front of the crazies, 35 feet, a three to tie it. I can still see it to this day. Even though we lost, I'm talking that you went for 34, 35, I can still see the shot that put it in the overtime in front of the crazies. That was an amazing game. Because like I said, I never had like great, great games against Duke. You know what I mean? I had like cool games, had a good game against them. 
you know, when, they, when we played them at home. But, like, I never really played great against them. And as a kid, you know, you play that big, you want to, like, leave your mark. So that game, like, my mentally, I listened to Beethoven before the game. Like, I was really on some different stuff. I used to write a Beethoven before my games would get me, like, just in that, in that zone. But, you know, I remember, like, it was it was a different vibe for me that game, and I was out for I but this is the time to, I have a good game here. We got to win here, even though we lost. But I think I had one of my best performances I probably ever had in college. And I remember after that game when we shook hands with Duke, Coach K pulled me aside and whispered in my ear. He said, "Jack, that was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen anybody have in here. Like if you ever need anything with basketball off the court, you let me know." So that's royalty right there. I don't care if you're first team all ACC or Siena, third team, academic all American. When that man says that to you, that hits home. It definitely hits home. You know, when I heard that, I'm like, ah. you know what I mean? He's like, oh, okay, we here, man. <laughs> we here. You know what I mean? So it definitely gives you that confidence. And once again, I got fed more superpowers. So one other thing here, just to tie the fun stuff together. When did you first hear Jimmy Graham was going to play football? After his senior year and the season was over, I don't even think he told us. I think he just came out. But I remember we used to run this out of balance play where I would like go uh, to the corner for three. But then we, it was also an alley oop play for Jimmy. But whenever we threw it to Jimmy, he would always miss the pass in practice. Like, bro, catch the ball and dunk it. And one time in practice, he was like, yo, it's way easier to catch a football. He said that in basketball practice. But like, nobody thought anything of it. So, like, now that he's doing what he's doing, I always remember, and people ask me about Jimmy, like, yo, I remember the time in practice, we used to run the play where I would shoot the three in the corner, but Jimmy was, like, either the second or the first, with, you know, in the play to catch the oot if I wasn't open. And I remember that practice, he couldn't catch it. He said it's way easier to catch the football. And then look at him now. Are you still a mate? He's still in the league, bro. He's still balling. He's one of the best all time. All time, man. But, you know, it's funny. I'm not going to say – I'm definitely surprised. You have to be. I mean, yeah, definitely surprised. But like, if you think about Jimmy's basketball game, it was more football, not in a way where he like just pushed people over. He didn't know how to play, but he was very like freight train, freight train, very quick, very nimble, could move laterally, could just fast. He had good hands. Don't get me wrong. But I just remember the alley you played, you know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> when he did that, you think about, you know, guys trying to go to the NFL, but a lot of guys weren't in athletic shape and as athletic and nimble laterally, you know, vertically like Jimmy was. He was like a, a different species back then. Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world. Globally or locally, UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. All right, so now you always dream about the NBA, but you don't not sure you're ever going to get there and all the backstory about no scholarships, etc. But now you're all two-team all ACC. You know, you're, you lead the ACC in three-point shooting. You take your team to the tournament. You have all these badass games against the top competition. So now you must be thinking, I'm going to go to the league. Um, you know, I wasn't really thinking it, but it's like after going back-to-back first team, you know, going to the tournament, senior year, not having the best, like, last game. You know, we lost in NIT to Florida. I didn't have my greatest game, but, like, I know I had a chance. 
I wasn't necessarily thinking about the NBA in college. I'm thinking, well, I want to get back to the tournament. Because my junior year, you know, I thought about entering the draft. But, um, you know, Coach Hayes, you know, with my family, we thought about, like, let's just come back for another year. You know what I mean? Um, I was going to enter the draft my junior year, but came back. You know, I thought I did enough to be known. Like, now it wasn't like going to high school and then college not having nobody know who you were. People knew who I was, and I did back-to-back first team on ACC. I was a combo guard, but, like, I had a lot of the top agents coming after me. Like, you know, after I graduated, like, every top agency wanted to sign me. So that was another decision that I had to really, like, make the right decision on who do I sign with as an agent that could help me get to that next level. And I remember signing. I signed the Octagon. Octagon, that same year they signed. Well, before that, they had Chris Paul, Rudy Gay. And then that same year that I got drafted, it was me, Steph Curry, Sam Young, Wes Matthews, Lester Hudson. And me and Steph Curry were roommates. So I'd heard that story. So your roommates, what, like as you're training and prepping for the draft, they're putting you up, you and him are roommates. Yep, we're in Bethesda, Maryland, down the octagon. We're working out with Edan. Edan was a great, you know, workout guy. And we're roommates, literally, for like a couple months, two, two three months. He, his girlfriend would come, Aisha would come there. And he had his own separate workout, so because he was like a lottery. So like he was sometimes not always, we worked out sometimes together. But sometimes he had his own individual stuff where he was by himself doing stuff, right? But at the end of the day, we were still slept in the same apartment. But we were in the same house, apartment, you know, living together. And, like, that was that was crazy. So now you pride yourself on your shooting. Yeah, for sure. Right? We all know how good a shooter you were. So when you saw him shoot, you thought what? I'm like, gosh, he's another one of me. We both shoot the ball very, very, very well. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't say – I never thought, like, oh, Steph Curry is a better shooter because when I was at my my all-time shooting, I, was, I thought I was you – know, it's the reason why I got the number one three-point field goal percentage in ACC history. You know what I mean? I, I could really shoot the ball. And like, Steph Curry was another guy. I'm like, yo, he can shoot like me because one thing if you notice with both of our forms, it's all one motion. We don't do a whole lot of stuff. It's all like, you know, oh, shoot, it's all like straight to it. And, you know, when I saw he had that type of form, I went, oh, he knows the cheat code to being a prolific shooter. It's not having a lot of motion in your shot. So it was just, you know, it was just second nature for him. So he was definitely probably the greatest shooter of all time. Did he give you hope? I know you thought you were going to be there, but if this is a lottery pick, he's a shooter, you're a shooter, do you think, well, dang, I can do this too? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely, like, just being around, being roommates in the same place, just being around that, you know, knowing – you know, the calls he was getting, you know, the certain stuff. It was like, shoot, if I'm here with this guy, there's no reason why, you know, I can't potentially make it. So, like, he definitely helped me in that wise mentally. Like, I'm staying with the, one of the top five picks, top ten picks, lottery picks. I'm his roommate. You know, we're working out at the same time sometimes. So, mentally, it helped me. But, like, we didn't have too many. Uh, it wasn't like we were working on a lot together. There were some, but it's like, you can peak. You're not, like, down there. Like, I'm going to give you tips because we're both trying to make the NBA. It's not like he was there for a couple of years. Yeah. When you got drafted by the Spurs, I felt like that was a good spot for you. Your game, shooting with that team. Did you – I know I'd heard the story that you thought you were going to go to the Knicks and, and, and some stuff didn't go right. But when you ultimately get drafted, that's a big moment, right? Obviously, it's your dream to go to the NBA. I don't care if it's first round, second round. You're, you're, you're in a camp. You're on a team. Somebody wanted you. Were you optimistic? Did you, were you optimistic you would make it? 
and did you feel like that might be a good fit for you? Yeah, well, I'm, I can't just throw away the next moment because this was this was a, all right. So tell a story, story then. Yeah, so I remember draft day. I got a call from you know an NBA analyst that called Coach Hayes and told him I was going to get drafted first round. The Knicks were going to take me. So before the draft, like a couple hours before the draft, Coach Hayes called me. Analyst called like, "Yo, you know, you're getting drafted by the Knicks first round. Congratulations." You know, a lot of teams know who they're going to pick before. You know what I'm saying? So. I heard before the draft that I was going to the Knicks 29th pick. They were like, look, as long as New York doesn't take, uh, as long as they take Jordan Hill and don't, you know what I mean, you're good. Because they had, a, they had like a, a, a early pick, I think, at four or five, and then they had 29. So I remember they drafted Jordan Hill. So I'm like, oh, I'm definitely getting drafted by the Knicks. They told me before, the, before like they want, they were looking to get Steph, but Steph, I think Steph went before. He went to Golden State before, so he wasn't there. They drafted Jordan Hill, so they had the 29th pick. I'm like, yo, I'm about to get drafted. First round. And like, I was a fashion guy. So, you know, New York is like, I can go to New York, have my fashion going. And, you know, first round is guaranteed money. You know, of course, you drafted, it's cool, but like, first round, guaranteed money. Second round, not guaranteed money. So I'm like, in my mind, I'm calling all my boys, like, yo, I'm going first round in New York. We getting this money, we getting the millions, we whatever you we we good. And I remember I think it was like the eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth pick. I got a call from the Spurs uh scout and general manager. It was like, Hey Jack, uh we just looked at your uh you know, when you when you're supposed to be top sixty pick, the NBA puts you through all these protocols where you get a you know, X rays, you go through everything, they do everything about your body, you know, like, hey, we noticed you had a wrist injury, you know. And the year before the Knicks drafted Dino Gallinari, and he had back spasms, and he didn't play the whole year. Scout called me, like, you know what? We're going to draft you, but, like, it looked at your whole physical sheet, and they noticed you had, like, a wrist injury that you didn't get surged. Because I didn't get surged. I just had a cast on, and I did, like, the – I forgot what it's called, some magnetic therapy or whatever to heal it. And they're like, yo, she's like, I'm sorry. We can't take you at 29. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I remember when I got that call, man, I punched my wall. I have still have a hole in my wall in my in my room. My parents have covered it up, but I remember I punched the wall when I got that that news that I wasn't going twenty nine because you don't go twenty nine, you're pretty much going second round. You know what I mean? It's only one pick left. So, you know, I still got drafted, you know what I mean? Spurs drafted me fifty first pick. Uh, I was super thankful. I remember when I got the call, people were texting me before I even saw it on the because I guess my TV was lagged. So I got the text, like, yo, congratulations. I'm like, what? I didn't know. And then, like, maybe 20 seconds later, I saw him on TV. The Spurs drafted me. You know, I threw my phone in the air. I jumped outside. I ran down the block, ran back. Uh, Coach Popovich called my phone. And it was like, it was like, you know, it was that moment where I was like, yo, I really made it. But you don't get time to let it, to marinate in it. You know what I mean? It's not that much time where you can just sit back and be relaxed. It's like, you got to go, you got to get ready for summer league. You know what I mean? It ain't like, and you're a second round pick. So, for me, you know, being drafted by the Spurs is great, but, you know, the Spurs are known to usually draft guys. If they draft them later, they send them overseas to Europe and bring them back. So, it was, it was a whole system over there. So, I was thankful. I went to San Antonio, got drafted. It was great. Played summer league. You know, I, when I was there, they had George Hill was their point guard. He was the guy they had just drafted. Then they had, like, Malik Harrison, Marcus Williams, Dewan Blair, Nando DeCala, and they drafted Patty Mills that year. And Patty Mills went back overseas. He didn't even come to the state. So, like, I was already playing behind a lot of people. They wanted me to go overseas. 
And like that didn't even, you know, I played bad in summer league. And then when you came, when I came back with summer league, I started killing it. And like Pop is like, yo, man, keep this up. You got, you got a good chance to make this team. So I'm like, oh, wow. But then I remember, like, I told my agent, I was like, man, listen, can you, is there another team that I can go to training camp with because the Spurs might not take you? They're like, nah, just wait. Spurs like you a lot. They're going to bring you in. And I remember one day before training camp, Popovich brought me in. We're in the back room. He's like, yeah, you know, we're going to release you and let you go to another team. Like, well, I'm like, one day before camp? Like, you know, like. <laughs> so my agent ended up getting me a, getting me a job with the Timberwolves like, for camp. But it was like, I got the news that, I was. They allowed me to. They released me. Allowed me to go to another team one day before. They waited to the last day. You know what I mean? Like, so I ended up going to Minnesota. But that was the same year they drafted Johnny Flynn, Ricky Rubio, Ty Lawson. It was like four point guards. So first preseason game in Minnesota, I got cut. That was overseas anyway. All right. So now let's talk about the business. You just mentioned New York fashion. We talked about the rail right. You got Active Dreamers. You kind of already said you were thinking a couple of steps ahead. So you said Darrell Wright was your best friend, but you guys met at prep school. So that, that relationship was immediate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it never stopped. You know, was, I got the phone with him today, you know, where I'm actually, no, but I mean, you get to prep school. You didn't know him before prep school. No, did I didn't you? know. him. Oh yeah. Before prep school, I didn't know who he was. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying you get there, you oh, meet yeah, that, yeah. You're, like you just, it was me. We just became cool right away. You know, I, you know, I was, I was always like a charismatic, like, you know, my energy, people always want to like hang around. Me, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Not, I'm not trying to like, I'm like the best, but like I always had that energy where I. Got, That's why we wanted you on the podcast, Jack. Your energy. Yeah, you know I, mean? I got along bro. with a lot of. Yeah, I got a lot. I got along with a lot of people, and like we connected like right away. He's from California. I was from Baltimore. Two different places, but we, you know, we vibed right away. So that friendship took place right away. You know, at break, he would come to Baltimore and stay with my house. You know, we could break the prep school for like a weekend. You know, we drive to, from Connecticut to Baltimore and found it some good stuff. It was fun, man. And, you know, in that relationship, still to this day, like, you know, me and my girlfriend, the creative director, you guys are hearing it first on this podcast. Me, him, and Dwayne Wade are starting a golf brand called Ace. You know, so I'm the designer, creative director. You know, so you know, everything comes full circle. Wow. Yeah, you're hearing it first on the Miami podcast. So what's the name of it? Ace. You know, Ace is a shot in golf, but it's a shot in tennis. So it's called Ace, and you know. We're starting our own golf brand, you know, in the African-American community. There's not a lot of golf brands per se that's kind of like fashion forward. So me and my girlfriend are bringing that. You know, my girlfriend's a big-time designer. She was a designer at BCBG and BB. That's how I really got into it. That's a whole other story. But, yeah, you know, I'm creative director, you know, helping with the business side. And we're starting a golf brand. We'll be out in the summertime. Dwayne's a big fashion guy, too. So it's, it's a, that's a good connection. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know I mean? I've known, and he's known me since I was. Dwayne Wade gave me the nickname Bukito when I was at Miami. He told me Bukito. What's the nickname? Bukito. Like bucket. Bukito? Yeah, like buckets. I guess I mean something in Latin. He called me Bukito. So, you know, just, it's funny how things come full circle. Can I get some ace gear? Oh, for sure. I got you. All right. So um, you mentioned just running with the rail, right? You were like, hey, I'm going to go to Miami. My boy's with the Miami Heat. I, I can kind of... I was I'm maybe part of it was the circle he was running from a social standpoint, the circle from an NBA standpoint, the circle from a basketball stand, like all of it, right? Like you were like, it's basketball, it's life, it's everything. What was what was that like though? I mean, it was amazing. You know, you get exposed to things that you've never seen before. You know, like I said, I think life is about being exposed. Like I mean, the first time he bought an S550 Mercedes Benz. And he would come pick me up. We would get in the S550 Benz. And, like, back then, it was this thing called night vision. 
where you could not have to look outside, outside, you can look at the thing, and you would, we probably shouldn't have been doing this, but like night vision, you could look in the, uh, the speedometer or whatever and had a picture of outside, and it was like no lights on, you could still see it. It was night vision. It was like, yo, we got that Mercedes S550 with the night vision. It's like, I've never been exposed to being like a Mercedes S550 or a mansion in Coconut Grove. And it's like, it's not about that, but the fact that I was exposed to it, it made me want to have it too. I'm not saying like, that's what you do it for, but it's like, there's more out here and there's other things like, you know, it's it's all about being exposed, man. I wouldn't know what it's like to, you know, be able to do certain things if I wasn't exposed to it. It was just, I was exposed to these things, seeing the Miami Heat locker room, like being in there in college, you know, just working out with my best friend. And I just, me and him at late night, it's like, okay, I want to be here too. I got to get here. So I was just, it was just a different, different exposition, you know. And you mentioned, you mentioned earlier in this, cause you, you know, Dwayne Wade bought into the jazz today. You mentioned that, I don't know, like maybe explain, did you, how much did you cross paths with him? All the time. I, I actually see D Wade all the time. Cause that was Darrell's best friend. So when I was with Darrell, it was D Wade was probably there a majority of the time as well. So, you know, I was, and I was a great basketball player. You know what I mean? In Miami, I was the man. So, you know, the top guy on the NBA team knows the top guy at the college level that's playing too. So it was like, you know, it was an amazing relationship. Like, I, you know, it, it just, it was a match made in heaven, could I say, you know what I mean? So shout out to Darrell, man. Without him, I wouldn't have definitely been exposed to things or had the visions and dreams of having, you know, the, I don't want to say the finer things, but like a different outlook on life, on like what you can have if you work hard. You had mentioned this in the podcast, and I'd heard you mention somewhere else that networking was big to you, even in college. So why was that important? How did you know to even make it important, right? Like, and, and what were you thinking of? Because obviously you were, you were thinking ahead. You were thinking beyond basketball. Like I said, I was never like a top player. So like being at the highest level, I knew that I had to take advantage of like the network of the kids that I was going to school with. You know, these kids that may own, you know, Dick Penn. Or, you know, dad may own a car dealership. It's like these kids were coming from all across the country. It cost a lot of money to go to Miami. You weren't on scholarship. So it's like I, I really wanted to connect on that level as well. By being a top basketball player, being a good player, like let me not act like I'm better than everybody. I'm just like these guys. You know what I mean? So let me be friend and, and give these guys, expose these guys to my world because someday they'll expose me to theirs. So. I always kind of felt like that, I guess, because I wasn't like a high-rated player. So I wanted to take advantage of every opportunity that I had, you know, when it came to meeting someone that had more knowledge and something than me. So what came first, a fashion line, Loaded Dock, or Active Dreamers? Uh, loaded Dock came first. One of my mentors was the biggest yacht seller in the world. Like mentors, like someone who kind of took an interest in you while you were in college, someone that you could talk to. Someone I was done playing, like they kind of like took me under their wing and like, kind of exposed me to certain things. So, you know, just being exposed to that and being on those type of, you know, everybody's on a boat now. I was on, I was on boat two years ago, just put it like that. And, you know, we never knew what to wear. Like, people would have on basketball shorts, jeans. Like, you would never have, like, the type of stuff on that was made for, like, yacht attire because in my world, in African American community, we're not, we don't really get on boats. So, for me, I'm like, this is a niche market that Nobody's really tapping into that when I played basketball in Europe, everybody wore like the smaller swim trunks. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is like different here. And then 
it's also different that in my community and there isn't too many swim brands so i'm like well let me start something in that sector and i had a lot of friends that was being on boats at a professional level so i felt like it was a space that i could get into and, and kind of control the narrative so that was like the first one now you've said fashion's your thing so were you thinking about getting into that industry and this was just kind of the opening yeah fashion was always a thing. i used to always want to dress the crazy part is I used to always want to wear the best clothes at Miami, but it was so hot and humid that you would sweat through everything by the time you got through your first class. Like, I would wear, like, nice outfits. I mean, like, dope outfits to school, but, like, it doesn't matter if it's shorts, tank, whatever. You're going to sweat right through it. So I was always about dressing nice because I always believe dressing nice is a conversation starter. So if you dress nice, someone is going to speak to you. So talk to me about this kind of like basketball, right? You know, people see a good shooter. They don't see all the work that goes into it. I always think, oh, yeah, people say they work hard. People say they do this, but they don't know what that takes. So, oh, I want to make a fashion line. I have an idea. Okay, but you got to put in the action. So how much work went into laying it out, business, finances, creative? Like that, you, did, you launched a business. Yeah, I mean, a lot went into it. But like when I started the fashion, my girlfriend, her whole background was fashion. She was worked at BCBG and BB as a designer. Her mom was a pattern maker and was in clothing and in design and sewing and manufacturing for 20 plus years. So it was definitely tough, but like I always had my girlfriend to kind of like give me the tips that would take somebody 10 years to get, but it was my girlfriend that we, you know, we spent every day together. So I learned a lot more fast than the average person. And then on top, I really didn't know, like, the business part. But like I said, I had mentors that had, you know, million-dollar businesses that had built businesses. So I just kind of, like, got some, you know, information from them on how to start a business, create an LLC, you know, what's equity, you know, what's a services agreement, you know, how much your shares were, what's the valuation of the company, like, the basics. And then my first investor was Carlos Boozer. I've read that. So is that a conversation where you have to present to him and persuade him? Or is it kind of like, hey, I got an idea, and he's like, I'm in? No, I had to persuade him. I had to persuade him. I had to tell him, like, what I was doing. Kind of showed him a deck. But it was out for a little bit before he invested. You know what I mean? Like, I got you. The brand was kind of out a little bit. And then he kind of was like, yo, you know what, Jack? Like, we've been friends for a long time now. Like, I support you. You know what I mean? If I can, if I can help him make your dream come true, I got you. You know what I'm saying? So he took a chance on me. And, like, any time in investing and stuff, people invest in people. A lot of times it's not really about what you're building the brand and of course there's something about it but like people invest in the person so you know we we built a relationship and a rapport where he believed in me and you know he was my first investor um with loaded dot that's how i started you know i would say i got into fashion a lot faster because of my girlfriend and you know i was able to build the brand out because of my, one of my best friends carlos Boozer. all right so then how does active dreamers come to be active dreamers really came from like I wanted to do something like inside of sport. I didn't want to be an agent. I didn't really want to work for somebody else, but I knew in my life, I knew I had a story to tell, right? I'm like, what can I create that allows me to tell my story? And like, you know, I would always be on social media. You would see certain things. You know, you start seeing brands. It's like, I don't want to really do clothes. Like, you know, resort and swim is very niche. It's like resort and swim. It's not like a pair with everything else. And it's like, if I'm going to do something inside of basketball and be able to leverage my network, I got to create something dynamic to basketball. And like home decor, which is a space that I felt like wasn't really tapped into. Like I would see like astronaut blankets and firefighters and like you would start to see like that stuff. And I was like, what about the kids that dream to be like their favorite player? Like what if 
you know, I put the player as a blanket, and then on the pillow I made the player's face. So then when the kid goes to sleep and makes his bed, he looks like Steph Curry or whatever, and he, and he puts his blanket up. He's had the same body as Steph. And I was like, that might work. And I had great relationships with, like, Krista Chin. Um, she worked at the NBA. She was a short lady that gives everybody their draft pass when they get drafted. Like, I was always building my network. So I remember I reached out to her when I first had the idea, and she kind of gave me a lot of tidbits of, like, how to get the license, what do you need to show, what you should and should not have. So, I mean, it was a, it was a crazy process, but the active image really came about because I wanted to create a product where I could leverage and make my network work for me and I can work for my network without working, if that makes sense. And I'm saying not working, but not like having like, think, have to do so many things to work. It's like, no, let's create a product. Let's get my network to get behind the product. I'll get my network rep share and I'll build a whole business around inspiring the youth to dream bigger. And that's how the company started. And then, you know, fast forward to now, the company is still about inspiring the youth, but it's more about empowering the player to leverage their likeness and to be able to monetize and maximize their likeness while they're still playing. Like, now wait until you retire to try to leverage your likeness. When, you start, when the ball starts bouncing, you know, so do the people that start bouncing too. So it's beyond blankets and home decor. Oh, yeah, it's beyond blankets and home decor. That's still a part of the business. But it's more about identifying the talent, creating a consumer product around the talent's likes and needs and wants, and leveraging the talent's access to work with them. It's like, you got all this access to on the NBA. Have something that people can consume while you're there. So let's use the media to help push that product. Let's do things like that. And then, you know, I've always had the licensing behind the scenes to be able to create within the NBA and the Players Association. So it's always been like a, a help, a working marriage. And it's been working, man. The company has really grown this past past two years when I kind of switched a little bit to apparel and empowerment of the players. You know what I mean? That's what I always was about. I was like empowering myself and making it knowing that, you know, I'm a businessman. Although I'm a basketball player, like, I'm a CEO and a general manager of my life. How do I leverage my position to be able to just get the information that these businessmen have or what they're exposed to? Because at the end of the day, rappers want to be hoopers, hoopers want to be rappers. The same thing with CEOs or big businesses, VPs. They, they want to be athletes. You know what I mean? So just identifying with that at an early age and making it work for me. You're very big on empowerment. You're very big on belief. You're standing behind people, lifting people up. Why is that important to you? Um, I think because when I came out, I had so many people who, like, you know, help me. You know what I mean? Like, I had tons of guys help me when I was, you know, going through slumps in college, shooting the ball. You know, these guys were coming to help me work on my shot and put me together with certain people to, like, have my back. So, like, if I could have these people behind me helping me out, it's like, I got to pass it on. It's like, I want to see people win, you know what I mean? Because I know what it took to try to make it at the highest level, to be a winner, to come from not having a scholarship, to all that. Like, it took people telling, yo, you're, you're good, man. You can make it. So however I can help other people and give them that same type of, you know, energy, that same type of pick you up, I think as a country, it would be a lot better if more people pick each other up instead of turning each other down. All right, buddy. We're done. I appreciate you. No doubt, man. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you saying yes. That's right, guys. I appreciate you giving me the time, and uh, we need to talk again. No doubt. Appreciate you, man. I'll talk soon.